Welcome back, everybody, as we continue the journey today with The Halfling's Gem, Book 3 of the Icewind Dale Trilogy, and Book 6 of the Dark Elf Legend of Drizzt books. Let's dive right in. Prelude The wizard looked down upon the young woman with uncertainty. Her back was to him. He could see the thick mane of her auburn locks flowing around her shoulders, rich and vibrant. But the wizard knew, too, the sadness that was in her eyes. So young she was, barely more than a child, and so beautifully innocent. Yet this beautiful child had put a sword through the heart of his beloved Sidney. Harkle Harple brushed away the unwanted memories of his dead love and started down the hill. "'A fine day,' he said cheerily when he reached the young woman. "'Do you think they've made the tower?' Caterbury asked him, her gaze never leaving the southern horizon. Harkle shrugged. "'Soon, if not yet.' He studied Caterbury and could find no anger against her for her actions. She had killed Sidney, it was true, but Harkle knew just by looking at her that necessity, not malice, had guided her sword arm, and now he could only pity her. How, how are you? Harkle stammered, amazed at the courage she had shown in light of the terrible events that had befallen her and her friends. Caterbury nodded and turned to the wizard. Surely there was sorrow edging her deep blue eyes, but mostly they burned with a stubborn resolve that chased away any hints of weakness. She had lost Bruner, the dwarf who had adopted her and reared her as his own since the earliest days of her childhood. And Caterbury's other friends even now were caught up in the middle of a desperate chase with an assassin across the Southland. How quickly things have changed, Harkle whispered under his breath, feeling sympathy for the young woman. He remembered a time just a few weeks earlier when Bruner Battlehammer and his small company had come through Longsaddle in their quest to find Mithril Hall, the dwarf's lost homeland. That had been a jovial meeting of tales exchanged and promises of future friendships with the Harple clan. None of them could have known that a second party, led by an evil assassin and by Harkle's son Sidney, held Caterbury hostage and was gathering to pursue the company. Bruner had found Mithril Hall, and had fallen there. And Sidney, the female mage that Harple had so dearly loved, had played a part in the dwarf's death. Harkle took a deep breath to steady himself. Bruner will be avenged, he said with a grimace. Canterbury kissed him on the cheek and started back up the hill toward the ivy mansion. She understood the wizard's sincere pain, and she truly admired his decision to help her fulfill her vow to return to Mithril Hall and reclaim it for Clan Battlehammer. But for Harkle, there had been no other choice. The Sydney that he had loved was a facade, a sugar coating to a power-crazed, unfeeling monster, and he himself had played a part in the disaster, unwittingly revealing to Sydney the whereabouts of Bruner's party. Harkle watched Caterbury go, the weight of troubles slowing her stride. He could harbor no resentment toward her. Sydney had brought about the circumstance of her own death, and Caterbury had no choice but to play them out. The wizard turned his gaze southward. He, too, wondered and worried for the drow elf and the huge barbarian lad. They had slumped back in the long saddle just three days before, a sorrow-filled and weary band in desperate need of rest. There could be no rest, though, not now, for the wicked assassin had escaped with the last of their group, Regis the Halfling, in tow. So much had happened in those few weeks— 
Harkel's entire world had been turned upside down by an odd mixture of heroes from a distant forlorn land called Icewind Dale and by a beautiful young woman who could not be blamed. And by the lie that was his deepest love, Harkel fell back on the grass and watched the puffy clouds of late summer meander across the sky. Beyond the clouds, where the stars shone eternally, Gwenhyver, the entity of the panther, paced excitedly. Many days had passed since the cat's master, the drow elf named Driz to Arden, had summoned it to the material plane. Gwenhyver was sensitive to the Ankh's figurine that served as a link to its master and that other world. The panther could sense the tingle from that far-off place even when its master merely touched the statuette. But Gwenhyver hadn't felt that link to Drizzt in some time, and the cat was nervous now, somehow understanding in its otherworldly intelligence that the drow no longer possessed a figurine. Gwenhyver remembered the last time before Drizzt when another drow, an evil drow, had been its master. Though in essence an animal, Gwenhyver possessed dignity, a quality that its original master had stolen away. Gwenhyver remembered those times when it was forced to perform cruel, cowardly acts against helpless foes for the sake of its master's pleasure. But things had been very different since Drizztu Arden came to possess the figurine. Here was a being of conscience and integrity. An honest bond of love had developed between Gwenhyver and Drizzt. The cat slumped against a star-trimmed tree and issued a low growl that observers to this astral spectacle might have taken as a resigned sigh. Deeper still would the cat's sigh have been if it knew that Artemis and Treri, the killer, now possessed the figurine. Book One, Halfway to Everywhere I am dying. Every day, with every breath I draw, I am closer to the end of my life. For we are born with a finite number of breaths, and each one I take edges the sunlight that is my life toward the inevitable dusk. It is a difficult thing to remember, especially while we are in the health and strength of our youth, and yet I have come to know that it is an important thing to keep in mind, not to complain or to make melancholy, but simply because only with the honest knowledge that one day I will die can I ever truly begin to live. Certainly, I do not dwell on the reality of my own mortality, but I believe that a person cannot help but dwell, at least subconsciously, on that most imposing specter until he has come to understand, to truly understand and appreciate, that he will one day die that he will one day be gone from this place, this life, this consciousness and existence, to whatever it is that awaits. For only when a person completely and honestly accepts the inevitability of death is he free of the fear of it. So many people, it seems, stick themselves into the same routines going through each day's rituals with almost religious precision. They become creatures of simple habit, Part of that is the comfort afforded by familiarity, but there is another aspect to it, a deep-rooted belief that as long as they keep everything the same, everything will remain the same. Such rituals are a way to control the world about them, but in truth, they cannot. For even if they follow the exact routine day after day after day, death will surely find them. I have seen other people paralyze their entire existence around the greatest of mysteries, shaping their every movement, their every word, in a desperate attempt to find the answers to the unanswerable. 
they fool themselves, either through interpretations of ancient texts or through some obscure sign from a natural event, into believing that they have found the ultimate truth, and thus, if they behave accordingly concerning that truth, they will surely be rewarded in the afterlife. This must be the greatest manifestation of that fear of death, the errant belief that we can somehow shape and decorate eternity itself, that we can curtain its windows and place its furniture in accordance with our own desperate desires. Along the road that led me to Icewind Dale, I came upon a group of followers of Ilmater, the god of suffering, who were so fanatical in their beliefs that they would beat each other senseless and welcome torment, even death itself, in some foolish belief that by doing so they would pay the highest tribute to their god. I believe them to be wrong, though in truth I cannot know anything for certain concerning what mystery lies beyond this mortal coil. And so I too am but a creature of faith and hope. I hope that Zach Nefane has found eternal peace and joy, and pray with all my heart that when I cross over the threshold into the next existence, I will see him again. Perhaps the greatest evil I see in this existence is when supposedly holy men prey upon the basic fears of death of the common folk to take from them. Give to the church, they cry. Only then will you find salvation. Even more subtle are the many religions that do not directly ask for the person's money, but insist that anyone of goodly and godly heart who is destined for their particular descriptions of heaven would willingly give that money over. And, of course, Toral is ripe with doomsdayers, people who claim that the end of the world is at hand and cry for repentance and for almost slavish dedication. I can only look at it all and sigh, for as death is the greatest mystery— so it is the most personal of revelations. We will not know, none of us, until the moment it is upon us, and we cannot truly and in good conscience convince another of our beliefs. It is a road we travel alone, but a road that I no longer fear, for in accepting the inevitable, I have freed myself from it. I am coming to recognize my mortality. I have found the secret to enjoying those centuries, years, months, days— and even hours that I have left to draw breath. This is the existence I can control, and to throw away the precious hours over fear of the inevitable is a foolish thing indeed. And to subconsciously think ourselves immortal and thus not appreciate those precious few hours that we all have is equally foolish. I cannot control the truth of death, whatever my desperation. I can only make certain that those moments of my life I have remaining are as rich as they can be. Drizzt Duarden Chapter 1. Tower of Twilight A day and more we have lost, the barbarian grumbled, reining in his horse and looking back over his shoulder. The lower rim of the sun had just dipped below the horizon. The assassin moves away from us even now. We do well to trust in Harkel's advice, replied Drizzt Duarden, the dark elf. He would not have led us astray. With the sunshine fading, Driz dropped the cowl of his black cloak back onto his shoulders and shook free the locks of his stark white hair. Wolfgar pointed to some tall pines. That must be the grove Harkle Harple spoke of, he said. Yet I see no tower nor signs that any structure was ever built in this forsaken area. His lavender eyes moored home in the deepening gloom, Drizzt peered ahead intently, 
trying to find some evidence to dispute his young friend. Surely this was the place that Harkle had indicated, for a short distance ahead of them lay the small pond, and beyond that the thick boughs of Neverwinter Wood. Take heart, he reminded Wolfgar. The wizard called Patience the greatest aid in finding the home of Malkor. We have been here but an hour. The road grows even longer, the barbarian mumbled, unaware that the drow's keen ears did not miss a word. There was merit in Wolfgar's complaints, Driz knew, for the tale of a farmer in long saddle, that of a dark cloaked man and a halfling on a single horse, put the assassin fully ten days ahead of them and moving swiftly. But Drizzt had faced Entreri before and understood the enormity of the challenge before him. He wanted as much assistance as he could get in rescuing Regis from the deadly man's clutches. By the farmer's words, Regis was still alive, and Drizzt was certain that Entreri did not mean to harm the halfling before getting him to Calimport. Harkle Harple would not have sent them to this place without good reason. "'Do we put up for the night?' asked Wolfgar. By my word, we'd ride back to the road and to the south. And Trary's horse carries two and may have tired by now. We can gain on him if we ride through the night. Drizzt smiled at his friend. They have passed through the city of Waterdeep by now, he explained. And Trary has acquired new horses at the least. Drizzt let the issue drop at that, keeping his deeper fears that the assassin had taken to the sea to himself. Then... To wait is even more folly, Wolfgar said quickly to argue. But as the barbarian spoke, his horse, a horse raised by harples, snorted and moved to a small pond, pawing in the air above the water as though searching for a place to step. A moment later, the last of the sun dipped under the western horizon and the daylight faded away. And in the magical dimness of twilight, an enchanted tower phased into view before them on the little island in the pond. "'It's every point twinkling like starlight, "'and its many twisting spires reaching up into the evening. "'Emerald green it was, and mystically inviting, "'as if sprites and fairies had lent a hand in its creation. "'And across the water, right below the hoof of Wolfgar's horse, "'appeared a shining bridge of green light. "'Drizd slipped from his mount. "'The Tower of Twilight,' he said to Wolfgar, "'as though he'd seen the obvious logic from the start.' He swept his arm out toward the structure, inviting his friend to lead them in. But Wolfgar was stunned at the appearance of the tower. He clutched the reins of his horse even tighter, causing the beast to rear up and flatten its ears against its head. "'I thought you would overcome your suspicions of magic,' said Driz sarcastically. Truly, Wolfgar, like all the barbarians of Icewind Dale, had been raised with the belief that wizards were weakling tricksters and not to be trusted. His people— Proud warriors of the tundra regarded strength of arm, not skill in the black arts of wizardry, as the measure of a true man. But in their many weeks on the road, Drizzt had seen Wolfgar overcome his upbringing and develop a tolerance, even a curiosity, for the practices of wizardry. With the flex of his massive muscles, Wolfgar brought his horse under control. I have, he answered through gritted teeth. He slid from his seat. It is harples that worry me. Drizzt's smirk widened across his face as he suddenly came to understand his friend's trepidations. He himself, who had been raised amongst many of the most powerful and frightening sorcerers in all the realms, had shaken his head in disbelief many times when they were guests of the eccentric family in Longsaddle. 
the Harples had a unique, and often disastrous, way of viewing the world. Though no evil festered in their hearts, and they wove their magic in accord with their own perspectives, usually against the presumed logic of rational men. Malcor is unlike his kin, Drizzt assured Wolfgar. He does not reside in the Ivory Mansion and has played advisor to kings of the Northland. He is a Harple, Wolfgar stated with a finality that Driz could not dispute. With another shake of his head and a deep breath to steady himself, Wolfgar grabbed his horse's bridle and started out across the bridge. Drizzt, still smiling, was quick to follow. Harple, Wolfgar muttered again after they crossed to the island and made a complete circuit of the structure. The tower had no door. Patience, Drizzt reminded him. They did not have to wait long, though, for a second later they heard a bolt being thrown and then the creak of a door opening. A moment later, a boy, barely into his teens, walked right through the green stone of the wall like some translucent specter and moved toward them. Wolfgar grunted and brought Aegis Fang, his mighty warhammer, down off of his shoulder. Driz grasped the barbarian's arm to stay him, fearing that his weary friend might strike in sheer frustration before they could determine the lad's intentions. When the boy reached them, they could see clearly that he was flesh and blood, not some otherworldly specter, and Wolfgar relaxed his grip. The youth bowed low to them and motioned for them to follow. Malcor? asked Driz. The boy did not answer, but he motioned again and started back toward the door. I would have thought you to be older if Malcor you be, Drizzt said, falling into step behind the boy. What of the horses? Wolfgar asked. Still the boy continued silently toward the tower. Drizzt looked at Wolfgar and shrugged. Bring them in then and let our mute friend worry about them, the dark elf said. They found one section of the wall, at least, to be an illusion, masking a door that had led them into a wide, circular chamber that was the tower's lowest level. Stalls lined one wall showed that they'd done right in bringing the horses, and they tethered the beasts quickly and rushed to catch up to the youth. The boy had not slowed and had entered another doorway. "'Hold for us,' Driz called, stepping through the portal, but he found no guide inside." He had entered a dimly lit corridor that rose gently and arced around as it rose, apparently tracing the circumference of the tower. Only one way to go, he told Wolfgar, who came in behind him, and they started off. Drizzt figured that they'd done one complete circle and were up to the second level, ten feet at least, when they found the boy waiting for them beside a darkened side passage that fell back toward the center of the structure. The lad ignored this passage, though, and started off higher into the tower along the main arcing corridor. Wolfgar had run out of patience for such cryptic games. His only concern was that Entreri and Regis were running farther away every second. He stepped by Drizzt and grabbed the boy's shoulder, spinning him about. "'Are you Malcor?' he demanded bluntly. The boy blanched at the giant man's gruff tone, but did not reply. "'Leave him,' Drizzt said. "'He is not Malcor, I'm sure.' We will find the master of the tower soon enough. He looked at the frightened boy. True. The boy gave a quick nod and started off again. Soon, Drizzt reiterated to quiet Wolfgar's growl. He prudently stepped by the barbarian, putting himself between Wolfgar and the guide. Harple, Wolfgar groaned at his back. The incline grew steeper and the circles tighter, and both friends knew that they were nearing the top. Finally, the boy stopped at a door, 
pushed it open and motioned for them to enter. Drizzt moved quickly to be the first inside the room, fearing that the angry barbarian might make less than a pleasant first impression with their wizard host. Across the room, sitting atop a desk and apparently waiting for them, rested a tall and sturdy man with neatly trimmed salt and pepper hair. His arms were crossed on his chest. Drizzt began to utter a cordial greeting, but Wolfgar nearly bowled him over, bursting in from behind and striding right up to the desk. The barbarian, with one hand on his hip and the other one holding Aegis Fang and a prominent display before him, eyed the man for a moment. "'Are you the wizard named Malcor Harple?' he demanded, his voice hinting at explosive anger. "'And if not, where in the Nine Hells are we to find him?' The man's laugh erupted straight from his belly. "'Of course,' he answered, and he sprang from the desk and clapped Wolfgar hard on the shoulder. "'I prefer a guest who does not cover his feelings with rosy words,' he cried. He walked past the stunned barbarian toward the door, and the boy. "'Did you speak to them?' he demanded of the lad. The boy blanched even more than before and shook his head emphatically. "'Not a single word!' Malcor yelled. The boy trembled visibly and shook his head again. He said not a drizzt began, but Malcor cut him off with an outstretched hand. If I find that you uttered even a single syllable, he threatened. He turned back to the room and took a step away. Just when he figured that the boy might have relaxed a bit, he spun back on him, nearly causing him to jump from his shoes. Why are you still here? Malcor demanded. Be gone! The door slammed even before the wizard had finished the command. Malcor laughed again, and the tension eased from his muscles, and he moved back to the desk. Drizzt came up beside Wolfgar, the two looking at each other in amazement. "'Let us be gone from this place,' Wolfgar said to Drizzt, and the drow could see that his friend was fighting the desire to spring over the desk and throttle the arrogant wizard on the spot. To a lesser degree, Drizzt shared these feelings, but he knew the tower and its occupants would be explained in time. "'Our greetings, Malcor Harple,' he said, his lavender eyes boring into the man." Your actions, though, do not fit the description your cousin Harkle mantled upon you. I assure you that I am as Harkle described, Malcor replied calmly. And my welcome to you, Drizduarden, and to Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar. Rarely have I entertained such fine guests in my humble tower. He bowed low to them to complete his gracious and diplomatic, if not entirely accurate, greeting. "'The boy did nothing wrong,' Wolfgar snarled at him. "'No, he has performed admirably,' Malcor agreed. "'Ah, you fear for him!' The wizard took his measure of the huge barbarian. Wolfgar's muscles still knotted in rage. "'I assure you, the boy is treated well.' "'Not by my eyes,' retorted Wolfgar. "'He aspires to be a wizard,' Malcor explained, not ruffled by the barbarian's scowl. "'His father is a powerful landowner and has employed me to guide the lad. "'The boy shows potential, a sharp mind, and a love for the arts. "'But understand, Wolfgar, that wizardry is not so very different from your own trade.' Wolfgar's smirk showed a difference of opinion. Discipline, Malcor continued undaunted, for whatever we do in our lives, 
Discipline and control over our own actions ultimately measure the level of our success. The boy has high aspirations and hints of power he cannot yet begin to understand. But if he cannot keep his thoughts silent for a single month, then I shan't waste years of my time on him. Your companion understands. Wolfgar looked to Drizzt, standing relaxed by his side. I do understand, Drizzt said to Wolfgar. Malkor has put the youth on a trial, a test of his abilities to follow commands and a revelation to the depths of his desires. I am forgiven, the wizard asked them. It is not important, Wolfgar grunted. We've not come to fight the battles of a boy. Of course, said Malkor. Your business presses, Harkor has told me. Go back down to the stables and wash. The boy is setting supper. He shall come for you when it's time to eat. Does he have a name? Wolfgar said with obvious sarcasm. None that he has yet earned, Malkor replied curtly. Though he was anxious to get back on the road, Wolfgar could not deny the splendor of the table of Malkor Harpel. He and Drizzt feasted well, knowing this to be, most probably, their last fine meal for many days. "'You shall spend the night,' Malkor said to them after they had finished eating. "'A soft bed would do you well,' he argued against Wolfgar's disgruntled look. "'And an early start, I promise.' "'We will stay.' And thank you, Driss replied. Surely this tower will do us better than the hard ground outside. Excellent, said Malkor. Come along, then. I have some items which should aid your quest. He led them out of the room and back down the decline of the corridor to the lower levels of the structure. As they walked, Malkor told his guests of the tower's formation and features. Finally, they turned down one of the darkened side passages and passed through a heavy door. Drizzt and Wolfgar had to pause at the entrance for a long moment to digest the wondrous sight before them, for they had come to Malkor's museum, a collection of the finest items, magical and otherwise, that the mage had found during the many years of his travels. Here were swords and full suits of polished armor, a shining mithril shield, and the crown of a long-dead king. Ancient tapestries lined the walls, and a glass case of priceless gems and jewels glittered in the flicker of the room's torches. Malkor had moved to a cabinet across the room, and by the time Wolfgar and Drizzt looked back at him, he was sitting atop the thing, casually juggling three horseshoes. He added a fourth as they watched, effortlessly guiding them through the rise and fall of the dance. "'I have placed an enchantment upon these that will make your steeds run swifter than any beasts in the land.' he explained, for a short time only, but long enough to get you to Waterdeep. That alone should be worth your delay in coming here. Two shoes to a horse, Wolfgar asked, ever doubting. That would not do. Malkor came back at him, tolerant of the weary young barbarian. Unless you wish your horse to rear up and run as a man, he laughed, but the scowl did not leave Wolfgar's face. Not to fear, Malkor said, clearing his throat at the failed joke. I have another set. He eyed Drizzt. I have heard it spoken that few are as agile as the drow elves, and I have heard as well by those who have seen Drizzt Arden at fight and at play that he is brilliant even considering the standards of his dark kin. Without 
interrupting the rhythm of his juggling, he flipped one of the horseshoes to Drizzt. Drizzt caught it easily and in the same motion put it into the air above him. Then came the second and third shoes, and Drizzt, without ever taking his eyes off Malkor, put them into motion with easy movements. The fourth shoe came in low, causing Drizzt to bend to catch it. But Drizzt was up to the task, and he never missed a catch or a throw as he included the shoe in his juggling. Wolfgar watched curiously and wondered at the motives of the wizard in testing the drow. Malkor reached down into the cabinet and pulled out another set of shoes. A fifth, he warned, launching one at Drizzt. The drow remained unconcerned, catching the shoe deftly and tossing it in line. Discipline, said Malkor emphatically, aiming his remark at Wolfgar. Show me, drow, he demanded, firing the sixth, seventh, and eighth at Drizzt in rapid succession. Drizzt grimaced as they came at him, determined to meet the challenge. His hands moving in a blur, he quickly had all eight horseshoes spinning and dropping harmoniously. And as he settled into an easy rhythm, Drizzt began to understand the wizard's ploy. Malkor walked over to Wolfgar and clapped him again on the shoulder. Discipline, he said again. Look at him, young warrior, for your dark-skinned friend is truly a master of his movements and thus a master of his craft. You do not yet understand, but we two are not so different. He caught Wolfgar's eyes squarely with his own. We three are not so different. Different methods, I agree, but to the same ends. Tiring of this game, Drizzt caught the shoes one by one as they fell and hooked them over his forearm, all the while eyeing Malkor with approval. Seeing his young friend slumped back in thought, the drow wasn't sure which was the greater gift, the enchanted shoes or the lesson. "'But enough of this,' Malkor said suddenly, bursting into motion. He crossed to a section of the wall that held dozens of swords and other weapons. "'I see that one of your scabbards is empty,' he said to Drizzt, Malkor pulled a beautifully crafted scimitar from its mount. Perhaps this will fill in properly. Drizzt sensed the power of the weapon as he took it from the wizard, felt the care of its crafting and the perfection of its balance. A single star-cut blue sapphire glittered in its pommel. Its name is Twinkle, Malkor said. Forged by the elves of a past age. Twinkle echoed Drizzt. Instantly, a bluish light lined the weapon's blade. Drizzt felt a sudden surge within it and somehow sensed a finer edge to its cut. He swung it a few times, trailing blue light with each motion. How easily it arced through the air. How easily it would cut down a foe. Drizzt slid it reverently into his empty scabbard. It was forged in the magic of the powers that all the surface elves hold dear said Malkor, of the stars and the moon and the mysteries of their souls. You deserve it, Drizzt Ardent, and it will serve you well. Drizzt could not answer the tribute, but Wolfgar, touched by the honor Malkor had paid to his often maligned friend, spoke with him. Our thanks to you, Malkor Harpel, he said, biting back the cynicism that had dominated his actions of late. He bowed low. Keep to your heart, Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar, Malkor answered him. Pride can be a useful tool, or it can close your eyes to the truths about you. Go now and take your sleep. 
I shall awaken you early and set you back along your road. Drizzt sat up in his bed and watched his friend after Wolfgar had settled into sleep. Drizzt was concerned for Wolfgar, so far from the empty tundra that had ever been his home. In their quest for Mithril Hall, they had trudged halfway across the Northland, fighting every mile of the way. And in finding their goal, their trials had only begun, for they had then battled their way through the ancient dwarven complex. Wolfgar had lost his mentor there, and Drizzt his dearest friend, and truly they had dragged themselves back to the villages of Longsaddle in need of a long rest. But reality had allowed no breaks, and Treri had Regis in his clutches, and Drizzt and Wolfgar were their halfling friend's only hope. In Longsaddle, they'd come to the end of one road, but had found the beginning of an even longer one. Drizzt could deal with his own weariness, but Wolfgar seemed cloaked in gloom, always running on the edge of danger. He was a young man out of Icewind Dale. The land had been his only home for the first time in his life. Now the sheltered strip of tundra, where the eternal wind blew, was far to the north. But Callumport was much farther still to the south. Driz lay back on his pillow, reminding himself that Wolfgar had chosen to come along. Driz couldn't stop him, even if he had tried. The drow closed his eyes. The best thing that he could do for himself and for Wolfgar was to sleep and be ready for whatever the next dawn would bring. Malcor's student awakened them, silently, a few hours later and led them to the dining room, where the wizard waited. A fine breakfast was brought out before them. "'Your course is south, by my cousin's words,' Malcor said to them. "'Chasing a man who holds your friend, this halfling, Regis, captive. "'His name is Entreri.' Drizzt replied. And we will find him a hard catch by my measure of him. He flies for Calimport. Harder still, Wolfgar added. We had him placed on the road, he explained to Malcor, though Drizzt knew the words to be aimed at him. Now we shall have to hope that he did not turn from its course. There was no secret to his path, argued Drizzt. He made for Waterdeep on the coast, he may have passed by there already. Then he is out to sea, reasoned Malcor. Wolfgar nearly choked on his food. He hadn't even considered that possibility. That is my fear, said Drizzt, and I thought to do the same. It is a dangerous and costly course, said Malcor. The pirates gather for the last runs to the south as the summer draws to an end, and if one has not made the proper arrangements... He let the words hang ominously before them. But you have little choice, the wizard continued. A horse cannot match the speed of a sailing ship, and the sea route is straighter than the road. So take to the sea, is my advice. Perhaps I can make some arrangements to speed your accommodations... My student has already set the enchanted shoes on your mounts, and with their aid, you may get to the great port in short days. And how long shall we sail? Wolfgar asked, dismayed and hardly believing that Drizzt would go along with the wizard's suggestion. Your young friend does not understand the breadth of this journey, Malcor said to Drizzt. The wizard laid his fork on the table and another a few inches from it. 
Here is Icewind Dale, he explained to Wolfgar, pointing to the first fork, and this other, the Tower of Twilight, where you now sit. A distance of nearly four hundred miles lies between. He tossed a third fork to Drizzt, who laid it out in front of him, about three feet from the fork representing their present position. It is a journey you would travel five times to equal the road ahead of you, Malkor told Wolfgar. For that last fork is Calumport, two thousand miles and several kingdoms to the south. Then we are defeated, moaned Wolfgar, unable to comprehend such a distance. Not so, said Malkor. For you shall ride with the sails full of northern wind and beat the first snows of winter. You will find the land and the people more accommodating to the south. We shall see, said the dark elf, unconvinced. To Drizzt, people had ever spelled trouble. Ah, agreed Malkor, realizing the hardship a drow elf would surely find among the dwellers of the surface world. But I have one more gift to give you a map to a treasure that you can recover this very day. Another delay, said Wolfgar. A small price to pay, replied Malkor, and this short trip shall save you many days in the populated south, where a drow elf may walk only at the night. Of this I am certain. Trizd was intrigued that Malkor so clearly understood his dilemma and was apparently hinting at an alternative. Drizd would not be welcome anywhere in the south. Cities that would grant the foul and treary free passage would throw chains upon the Dark Elf if he tried to cross through, for the drow had long ago earned their reputation as ultimately evil and unspeakably vile. Few in all the realms would be quick to recognize Drizd to Arden as the exception to the rule. Just to the west of here, down a dark path in Neverwinter Wood, and in a cave of trees, dwells a monster that the local farmers have named Agatha, said Malkor. Once an elf, I believe, and a fair mage in her own right, according to the legend, this wretched thing lives on after death, and calls the night her time. Driz knew the sinister legends of such creatures, and he knew their name. A banshee? he asked. Melkor nodded. To her lair you should go, if you are brave enough, for the banshee has collected a fair hoard of treasure, including one item that would prove invaluable to you, Driz Duarden. He saw that he had the drow's full attention. Driz leaned forward over the table and weighed Malkor's every word. A mask, the wizard explained. An enchanted mask that will allow you to hide your heritage and walk freely as a surface self, or as a man, if that suits you. Driz slumped back, a bit unnerved at the threat to his very identity. I understand your hesitancy, Malkor said to him. It is not easy to hide from those who accuse you unjustly, to give credibility to their false perceptions. But think of your captive friend, and know that I make this suggestion only for his sake. You may get through the Southlands as you are, Dark Elf, but not unhindered. Wolfgar bit his lip and said nothing, knowing this to be Drizzt's own decision. 
He knew that even his concerns about further delay could not weigh into such a personal discussion. We will go to this lair in the wood, Driz said at last, and I shall wear a mask if I must. He looked at Wolfgar. Our only concern must be Regis. Drizzt and Wolfgar sat atop their mounts outside the Tower of Twilight, with Malkor standing beside them. Be wary of the thing, Malkor said, handing Drizzt a map to the Banshee's lair, and another parchment that generally showed their course to the far south. Her touch is deathly cold, and the legends say that to hear her keen is to die. Her keen? asked Wolfgar. An unearthly wail too terrible for mortal ears to bear, said Malkor. Take all care. We shall, Drizzt assured him. We will not forget the hospitality or the gifts of Malkor Harple, added Wolfgar. Nor the lesson, I hope, the wizard replied with a wink, drawing an embarrassed smile from Wolfgar. Drizzt was pleased that his friend had shaken at least some of his surliness. Dawn came upon them, and the tower quickly faded into nothingness. The tower is gone, yet the wizard remains, remarked Wolfgar. The tower is gone, yet the door inside remains, Malkor corrected. He took a few steps back and stretched his arm out, his hand disappearing from sight. Wolfgar jerked in bewilderment. For those who know how to find it, Malkor added, for those who have trained their minds to the properties of magic. He stepped through the extra-dimensional portal and was gone from sight, but his voice came back to them one last time. Discipline, he called, and Wolfgar knew himself to be the target of Malkor's final statement. Driz kicked his horse into motion, unrolling the map as he started away. Harple, he asked over his shoulder, imitating Wolfgar's derisive tone of the previous night. Would that all the Harples were like Malkor, Wolfgar replied. He sat staring at the emptiness that had been the Tower of Twilight, fully understanding that the wizard had taught him two valuable lessons in a single night, one of prejudice and one of humility. From inside the hidden dimension of his home, Malkor watched them go. He wished that he could join them, to travel along the road of adventure as he had so often done in his youth, finding a just course and following it against any odds. Harkel had judged the principles of those two correctly, Malkor knew, and had been right in asking Malkor to help them. The wizard leaned against the door to his home. Alas, his days of adventure, his days of carrying the crusade of justice on his shoulders, were fading behind him. But Malkor took heart in the events of the last day. If the drow and his barbarian friend were any indication, he had just helped to pass the torch into able hands.